Hello, and welcome to Quest, a vineyard church where we experience life as friends with faith through encountering God, loving others, and making a difference in our community. If you're new, there will be information at the end of this podcast where you can plug into Quest in person or online. Now let's dive into this week's teaching. So we're in the series called Everyday Wisdom that we started last week in the book of Proverbs. And so the natural consequence of uh, studying Proverbs during this time of year coming up as Mother's Day is maybe we should talk about Proverbs 31. The whole chapter is dedicated to motherhood and to, to women. And, and honestly, for some of you, that chapter is a beautiful chapter. For some of you, that chapter is like the worst chapter, your nightmare to read. Because it feels like this heavy weight, this heavy burden for some of you. And I want to I wanna encourage you that I hope before you leave today, that burden will be completely gone. Let me, as a, by way of introduction, just say this. Proverbs 31 is actually not written to the women. It has a lot of things to share, and we're going to let a couple wonderful people share about that today for women. But it's actually written to men. And if you read it from that perspective, one of the things I marvel at in the Bible, you know, we, a lot of people talk about the Bible or talk about faith, and they say how it has for centuries uh, put women down. But that, that's, that's actually kind of an ignorant reading of the Bible. When you read this chapter, what you're going to discover, if you read it from the standpoint of it being written to men, you're going to discover that what they're saying is, men, you need to be not just okay, but you need to celebrate really strong, successful women. People who are great in leadership, great in business, great as leaders of the family, whatever area they're great in, you need to learn to celebrate women. And raise them up. Everything in the Bible is about God trying to raise us up from our prejudices and from the ways that we create divisions among us. And so I want you to maybe go home and read it from that perspective. But um, we also thought because of, of, of this that it would be very good to have two women speak on this topic today. So two of my favorite women, Wendy, my wife, who uh, runs small groups in our counseling center and teaches at Franklin University in Columbus State. And and Alexis, uh, Jeremy's wife, who is a women's health specialist, nurse practitioner, and has spent her life mentoring uh, women. And I think you're going to really enjoy the message. Thank you so much for giving hey. to us today. Hey. Well, welcome. Oh, good to see you. Um, with everything that has been going on this last year concerning women and gender equality, my sons had me watch a British comedic news report. And in this, they were talking about how CNN has declared that 2018 is the year of the woman. And the female announcer said, yay, we won the year and it only took 2018 attempts against only one opponent. We did it. Go women. Um, it seems like giving birth to everyone since the beginning of time has finally paid off. <laughs> you know, so anyway, here we are. So our desire today is to celebrate and honor women, to clarify what the Bible says about what it means to be a woman of virtue, and for all of us, men and women, to walk more confidently in, in who God made us to be and how that we can help each other to do this more. So we're going to speak from Proverbs 31. Um, this is that proverb that's most associated with femininity and grace. Um, you may be able to um, remember seeing in um, your grandmother's house or many bathrooms some lovely needlepoint pillow that says 
Charm is deceitful and beauty is passing, but a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. And oftentimes I'll, I'll read this and I'll, I'll hear this like underlying current of not only is what you have going on right now probably not enough, in the future you're going to look much worse. Um, you better start working now so that you've got something going on a little bit later. So um, I know that um, Proverbs 31 is probably wrought with a lot of these different thoughts for you guys. So hopefully we'll see it a little bit differently as we go through this. Yeah, if you had told me a year ago that I would be speaking on Proverbs 31, I would have laughed and thought you were just a, a tad bit crazy because I, along with many of you, grew up thinking about that Proverbs 31 as this impossibly high standard to which I felt like I could never measure up. And so I sort of put it on a shelf and just didn't think about it much. But I started to see the proverb a little bit differently when I heard Barbara Bush's memorial service and her granddaughters read this passage over um, when they were speaking about her. So I wanted to reread it and have you listen again. Okay. So Proverbs 31, 10 through 31. Who can find a virtuous and capable wife? She is more precious than rubies. Her husband can trust her, and she will greatly enrich his life. She brings him good, not harm, all the days of her life. She finds wool and flax and busily spins it. She is like a merchant ship bringing food from afar. She gets up before dawn to prepare breakfast for her household and plan the day's work for her servant girls. She goes to inspect a field and buys it, and with her earnings, she plants a vineyard. She is energetic, strong, a hard worker. She makes sure that her dealings are profitable. Her lamp burns late into the night. Her fingers are busy spinning thread, her fingers twisting fiber. She extends a helping hand to the poor and opens her arms to the needy. She has no fear of winter for her household, for everyone has warm clothes. She makes her own bedspreads. She dresses in fine linen and purple gowns. Her husband is well known at the city gates where he sits with the other civic leaders. She makes belted linen garments and sashes to sell to the merchants. She is clothed with strength and dignity. She laughs without fear of the future. When she speaks, her words are wise and she gives instructions with kindness. She carefully watches everything in her household and suffers nothing from laziness. Her children stand and bless her. Her husband praises her. There are many virtuous and capable women in the world, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceptive and beauty does not last. But a woman who fears the Lord, she will be greatly praised. Reward her for all she has done. Let her deeds publicly declare her praise. I don't know how you might be feeling as I read that or after hearing that. Um, maybe some of you have avoided reading that for a really long time and so it's fresh for you. You may have been thinking about your grocery list or your most recent like parenting relationship fails. You may be thinking of something totally different entirely because you're hungry and you're just thinking about lunch. That's also fine. Um, but I think that I know that I read this and I often have those very dangerous thoughts of um, that I'm failing, that I'm not measuring up, that I'm not quite enough, and that God has this checklist that he's checking off, like not getting up before her kids for breakfast, not staying up late at night, not twisting fibers with her hands, which I don't even know what that means. Um, <laughs> I think we're so tempted as women to think that we're failing if we're single, if we're married, if we're biological mothers, adoptive mothers, if we're working full-time, working part-time, staying at home, homeschooling our children, sending our children to school, if we're getting help doing our household duties, or if we're just killing ourselves doing everything in our homes, if we're buying baby food, if we're making all our own baby food, if we're breastfeeding, if we're formula feeding, I mean, the list could go on forever. I could stand here all day and say all of these different areas where women start to feel like they're failing. It's just not what we're meant to be thinking about when we're reading God's word. I know this week I've even been in danger of thinking um, that I'm just plain not enough, 
that I'm failing, that I have this whole list of stuff that I'm dragging around through life. Um, Here's some slides that we kind of want you to think about um, these thoughts. Maybe jot them down um, and let God work in them after this message. Just like go back to them and see kind of how he wants to speak into them. Um, What areas of this proverb stand out for you most? Where are you feeling like you're not measuring up, where you're not enough? We really want to let God speak into this. Where are you struggling the most with this verse? And then how can you let God speak into those places? How can we see him a little bit different? During this last week, Wendy asked a few men and women about um, what's the first word that comes to your mind when you hear either the word mom or woman. So I'm going to read some of their responses. For mom, they said um, warmth, security, sacrifice, ick, loving, nurturing, funny, Anne, my mom's name, caring, tough, crazy. For women, the words that they associated were strong, powerful, fierce, fighter, gentle, warrior, my girlfriend, wonder woman, drama queen, feminine, fantasy, feminist. Do these descriptions align with that Proverbs 31 woman? There's a huge mix of positive and negative descriptors here, and I'm sure in your own mind you have some of those same positive and negative traits. Are all these positives that I said, are those just solely the property of women that we see around us who we think are just rocking life? Are the negative descriptions things that you think of your, yourself? I love that um, the, the words like warrior, um, powerful, fierce, and brave were right alongside loving and nurturing. Those things can go mm-hmm. hand in hand and they aren't mm-hmm. isolated. So I, I, as we go over what Proverbs 31 was originally meant I hope that we can celebrate moms today, but I hope that we also celebrate all women, all women who are just courageously serving our community with their lives and their gifts. So let's hear Wendy expand a little bit on the original intent of Proverbs 31. Yay. As Frost mentioned, um, this poem was written for men about women, and it was done in a literary style that was normally reserved for God or for a great warrior. It's an acrostic poem, and each verse begins with a consecutive um, letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And it was a poem that was made into a song for men to sing. And this tradition continues today. In fact, my friend in in, um, Texas was just at a Jewish Shabbat where the men and their children memorized this passage and they would sing it at the dinner table to the women in their lives, their wives, their daughters, their sisters, mothers, and their friends. Um, And I was talking with my daughter about this message. And it was this part of this idea of someone singing a song that stood out to her. And I love what she said. She said, because when somebody sings a song of praise to someone, it is of love and admiration about who they are, not what they are not. And a serenade is never about your failures. It's calling out what someone sees in you. And so I love that she was drawn to that heart behind Proverbs 31, which is encouragement. And that kind of encouragement that emboldens a woman's identity and calling. So in Proverbs 31, it, it describes women in a way that has strong similarities to this, what we call woman of wisdom. It's a, a personification of wisdom that we see in the earlier chapters of Proverbs. But it also describes an upper class Jewish woman who kept her household by functioning by buying, trading, investing, planting, sowing, managing servants, giving to others, providing food for the family, providing, uh, preparing for the future. But essentially, this poem is valuing the everyday things that women do. And that's what wisdom is all about. And what does it look like in action? So again, this is a poem. It is not a description. 
It is not a list that tells us this is how we need to do in order to be virtuous. We have to be married. We have to have children. And we don't have to take up a loom. And that's the, the, the thing the thing with the fibers and all of that stuff, um, which is very good news to me because um, I, I, you were like me. I barely passed home ec in high school because of my poor sewing skills. I can't. I'm really bad at it. So, um, But Proverbs 31.10 starts off this poem with the words, Who can find a virtuous woman? So virtuous woman, these words, the Hebrew words are ashet hayil. I think I'm saying that right. But they're translated a few ways. A woman of virtue, a woman of excellence, and also a woman of valor. And that word valor brings, may bring more clarity because, again, this poem, the style of it was a reference to a great warrior. And valor means bravery and courage, being plucky, daring, um, having a backbone, and being fearless. So how does that word valor tweak your concept of a virtuous woman the other place in scripture where it uses the same hebrew words are in ruth in 311 where boaz described ruth for everyone in town knows you are ruth you are a virtuous or a valiant woman ruth however was much the opposite of the woman that was described in proverbs 31 because she was childless she had been married for eight years to her first husband and had never given birth she was single she was single and a foreigner making her undesirable by most hebrew men and ruth didn't spend her days making clothes for her husband because she didn't have one she was also very poor she didn't have fine linens to exchange to help her make money she couldn't keep an immaculate home as they described in proverbs 31 because she worked all day in the sun gleaning leftovers that they left in the fields to find some scraps for her and her mother-in-law to eat in order to survive but yet Scripture says that she was a woman of valor before she has a child, before she's wealthy, before she has any kind of influence. Ruth was valiant in her faithfulness to her mother-in-law, leaving the comfort of her country, working hard, and being confident even when she was considered being an outcast. She was a woman of valor because she lived her life with incredible bravery, wisdom, and strength. So it highlights the point in Proverbs that is praising women. It's not so much about what you do, but it's how you do it. So it means to us that no matter what you do, if you're a stay-at-home mom, you do it with valor. If you are a CEO, you do it with valor. If you're a nurse or a barista or a student, you do everything with valor. Because um, women of valor cannot fit into a single mold, as we see in Proverbs 31. Otherwise, women like Deborah, who was a judge and a leader in Israel, she wouldn't have qualified. I mean, I don't think that Deborah gave up giving counsel and organizing her armies to use that silly loom again, you know? Um, on a, you know, so, and also I love in Judges 5 7, when it describes Deborah, it says that she arose as a mother in Israel. And that was a title that, that indicated how the nation looked to Deborah for leadership, similar to how we might look as George Washington as the father of our nation. And how about Mary Magdalene? She was one of Jesus' best friends. Junia, she was an apostle in the, in the early church. And Priscilla, she was one of the most famous preachers in the early church. These women didn't exemplify all the specific behaviors that we see in Proverbs 31, but they are honored in Scripture as valiant, virtuous women who followed God with their whole heart. So today, I, I think we're seeing a shift in the way that women um, view their role, and this shift may be more biblical than we realize. I mean, we can even see it in the Disney princesses. You now they're changing. They're the ones, you know, we used to have the ones that were just beautiful, but they didn't do much. Like, pretty much they just slept, you know. Um, but, to, like, my daughter's favorite is Mulan. But how about Brave or Pocahontas or Moana? All of these women bravely stood up to save their community. 
And maybe this imagery is more closer to a real Proverbs 31 woman. And so when I was listening to the responses that most of those were students um, that were associated with the word mom, um, it reminds us that so many of those traits that we value in moms are traits that are all women aspire to be. Because you don't have to be a mom to be mom-like. And in our lifetimes, we have seen that some of the most nurturing, supportive, and strong women of valor did not have biological children. Like Corey Tenboom. She was a Dutch Christian who, along with her family, risked their lives to help Jews escape the Nazi Holocaust during World War II by hiding them in her closet. And in her 50s, that makes me feel really good, in her 50s, she unhesitatingly became the head of a ring of Dutch underground volunteers. She was imprisoned for her actions, and it led to the deaths of her father, her sister, her brother, and her nephew. And then after the war, she spent decades helping people learn how to forgive even the most horrific sins committed against them. One of my favorite stories about Mother Teresa reminds me of that valiant mama bear, defender, and protector. Um, In 1982, it was when the Israelis were trying to drive out the Palestinian Liberation Organization with heavy artillery and ground attacks, and the toll was very heavy. There was 500 deaths. Mostly civilians were wounded. Their water supplies were running out, and many were without power. And there were hundreds of orphaned, intellectually disabled Muslim children in Beirut who were left abandoned by the staff. Some were dead and some were wounded, and they were left without care. So the locals sought, how can we rescue these children? But they couldn't because the bombing was too intense. So they sought outside help. And who do you think shows up but Mother Teresa? And upon arriving, she was told, the risk is too great. We can't rescue these children. And I love this quote. She said, I believe it is our duty. We must go and take the children one by one. Risking our lives is the order of all things. All for Jesus, all for Jesus. And then they told her, well, without a ceasefire, it's absolutely impossible to get these kids. So Mother Teresa prayed for a ceasefire. The U.S. ambassador told her, he said, I believe in the power of prayer. But he says, there's no way that I can help negotiate a ceasefire that quickly. Can you have some more time? And she said, I'm sure we're going to have a ceasefire by tomorrow. And what do you think? The next day, there was total silence enveloped the city. A ceasefire had been negotiated, and um, it was in place. And so in this picture, we see Mother Teresa carrying child one by one to safety amidst the tanks, the fire, the chaos, the soldiers. I mean, talk about a woman of valor. These women make me want to be a stronger, more valiant woman. You know, Ross mentioned in our last series, We Love Our City, about what it means to be a mother and a father in our community. And several months ago, I mean, I sensed that God was asking me what it would look like if I had more of a mother's heart here. And to how would I look at the people I work with, my students, my neighbors? How would I look with them more with a mom's heart? And it really does. It it changes your perspective. I mean, you look for more of what I can do or what I can give rather than what you can receive. Um, I take a little bit more ownership of what's happening. I become a little bit more protective and determined. And I've been sensing like my prayers are a little bit more confident. And I'm like, you know, don't mess with, you know, that mama bear start come out. And I'm inspired by so many of you in our community that have been such a mom in this in this place. I'm inspired by women among us like Dr. Mary Lutz, who's one of our small group leaders. And she oversees the Columbus campus of Ashland University. And there's a charter school next door that leases space in their building for the middle school students, and most of them are primarily refugees. 
Mary stops in the classrooms regularly, asking the students how their day is going, and they ask her questions. She has so much rapport with the teacher and the students. And one example is that the teacher asked Mary to come in to the classroom before the students took a test that they were really nervous for. So Mary just simply asked them, well, do you believe in God? And they all said yes. And she said, well, when I'm nervous before I test, I ask God to help me when I, to help me remember what I studied and what the teacher said and help me to do my best. And afterwards, the students did do absolutely fabulous on the test. And they credit it to a teacher who loves us and God who helps us do our best. And then the students wrote what they liked about having their school meet on the Ashland campus. And their responses were, it feels safe. And there are not people screaming, fighting, or yelling while you're trying to learn. I mean, what a powerful way to care for your community. I'm inspired by women like Vanita Rogers, how she and her family, her small group in our church, is being a part of her caring for a little sister from the Big Sister program. I'm inspired by women like Barb Miller, who's been married for 63 years to Walt. And I love how Barb just reaches out to people. She asks them how they're doing, and she will pray for years. And she is that example of that mama bear valiant prayer warrior. I mean, there are so many women and men, but these women that inspire me to be more valiant. And it leads to our final point about how do we all live these lives that are more valiant. And to answer this, we wanted to highlight three areas that we believe will help. And the first one that I'll address, and then Alexis will take the other two, but that first one is like, we need to look at how our culture, including the church, may not value the differences between men and women by seeing these differences as weaknesses instead of strengths. Abby Lowe, she was one of them that dedicated a baby in the first service. Um, she sent me an article by Ann Voskamp, who is a New York Times bestselling Christian author. And she shared about how one of her sons had come home from a Christian leadership gathering and told her how one of the guys had said in the group, well, yeah, my dad says that men are a whole lot more reasonable than women because women aren't rational, really. They're just emotional. Um, her son shared, like, no one said anything in response to this guy's comment. So how does a young man walk out of the doors of a church, out of a leadership group, with that unchallenged message that women, for all their God-given differences, aren't rational or reasonable. You know, her son wanted to say, well, why didn't I say something, Mom? Like, why did I just sit there silent? And she asked him, well, like, what do you wish that you had said? And he spent some time thinking about it. And he, he said, I wish I said that Miriam was a leader and a prophet and that Deborah was a judge and Huldah, she was a prophet who spoke to kings I wish I had pointed out that Esther was the one chosen to save God's people and that the first evangelists were women and that Mary Magdalene was the first apostle to the apostles and Philip's four daughters were all prophetesses. And in the last days, God will pour out his spirit on young women and men and they will prophesy. I mean, he has such a powerful understanding of the Bible um, and how it talks about the deep worth of women, strong and valiant women. So Ann Voskamp had identified several key points to that we should teach our young men, but here are just two that we wanted to emphasize. First of all, that real men don't make concessions for women's gifts. They make real space to celebrate every woman's gift. So regardless of the differences between men and women, we intentionally make space for people to grow and to flourish. For if we don't, the whole body of Christ is smaller and it withers. 
And it reminds me of when I was in my 20s. I worked on an all-male psychiatric unit for teenagers, okay, and with an all-male staff. I don't know what I was thinking. I was in my 20s, right? Um, but there was lots of testosterones, and many of the teens and the staff had issues with women. So after about nine months of working there, I needed to talk with my boss about some of the unhelpful maybe behaviors or attitudes I was experiencing because it wasn't beneficial for the unit, and it was not for myself either. So I went in having this conversation with my boss. I knew I needed to stay on point, be non-emotional, Wendy. And with previous employers, I was able to do that. But to my dismay, on this day, when I started to talk, what did I do? I started to cry. And then my boss just rolled his eyes and he says, this is why I don't like working with women. They're so blankety-blank emotional. And I just berated myself for years. Like, what was my problem? I was very unprofessional with my emotions. But then this question about strengths comes to play, right? Because what is really so wrong about being emotional? I mentioned at church last week to Christy Jackson. She's another woman who just inspires me. And she's unapologetically identifies herself as emotional. Um, But she said, like, having an emotion doesn't negate your point and it doesn't take away your strengths. I wish I had known that more then. Because our differences can be strengths rather than weaknesses. And rather than berating myself, could I have appreciated the strengths that emotions can bring? It can bring a sense of compassion or intuitiveness. Could my boss and all on the male unit have benefited from somebody who's more emotional? And vice versa, because I am more emotional, do I diminish the strength of someone who approached as more analytical? Do I see him or her as being insensitive or uncaring, not recognizing their strengths? Another point to teach our young men, that real men nurture the calling of women. Otherwise, they can't be called real men. Ask Jesus, the truest, realest God-man, who did exactly that. Especially when we consider the culture that Jesus lived in, where women were considered less than and more like something that you owned. I mean, in stark contrast, Jesus affirmed women, such as Mary Magdalene, by how respectfully he treated them, and he provided them key roles for them to use their strengths. Well, in addition to how we see the differences between men and women differently, um, we also need to start hearing God's voice differently. In the beginning, we were talking about things that you think about whenever you read Proverbs 31. To live lives more valiantly, we have to hear God's voice in a different way. Often we carry around this long list of why we're not enough. The burden of our guilt and our past experiences just drags God's spirit right out of us. It causes us to go into hiding. Um, honestly, when I was listening to some of the negative descriptions of moms and women, when the word crazy came along, I was slightly afraid that Jeremy had given that word to Wendy when she <laughs> brought it up in staff meeting. Um, but I really did think that. Um, but one of the experiences that I had that helped me kind of hear God's voice differently happened just after college. I was in a small group and we were doing a study in the book of John. Um, and we were talking about John four, the woman at the well. Um, and I remember, um, when we were reading John four sixteen, um, it was right after Jesus had approached the woman at the well and Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him. I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying I have no husband for you have had five husbands and the one that you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. And I would just read that and I would hear um, Jesus's voice, like the words, I would hear them in just this really harsh and accusing tone as he listed out the things that she had done 
And I would internalize that voice and I would play that in my own mind over my own sin. And um, I would just spiral and kind of never break out of those patterns of sin that you get in because I could never really see myself as forgiven or loved through Jesus's eyes. Um, So why would I try to change? And then that year, that um, Book of John became a movie which I think is why we were studying it. I don't think it was just a fancy coincidence, but we all went to see it as a small group. And as we were sitting there, I was kind of cringing. Like I could feel myself getting tense as that um, woman at the well scene came. And then I, I mean, I was so taken off guard because the actor playing Jesus sat there with that woman and he looked at her with true love and caring without accusation, without being berating, he did tell her the truth. He did say those words to her, but he said it in such a loving way with an offer of forgiveness and a desire to have a relationship with her. I don't think I will ever see see or hear Jesus's voice the same way. He said to her, if you knew the gift of God and who it was that was saying this to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. That was in John 4.10, and I used to hear that and think, like, you messed up again. <laughs> you didn't know who you were talking to. <laughs> but that's not what he was saying at all. What he was saying is that I have something to offer you. He knew her, and he loved her. And with full knowledge of the depth of her sin, he was going to die on the cross for her willingly. God's voice is love. It's not guilt. It's that gentle, coaxing spirit that's saying, come walk in the light. Walk in forgiveness. He's going to tell you the truth, but he's not going to say it in that harsh accusatory voice that at least I was hearing it in. So when we read Proverbs 31 and you have those feelings of not being enough and of inadequacy because you're not looming or whatever you do with the loom, (laughs) um, then I do hope that you start to hear God's voice in a different way. He loves you so much. He knit you together from absolutely nothing and he put unique giftings in each and every one of us and he wants to draw those out. In my own life, just to be vulnerable for a second, I currently struggle a lot on a daily basis with parenting and my work roles. I have some challenges there, as I'm sure everyone does, but my inner dialogue can get pretty toxic. I'll often be like walking through a rough moment with my kiddos and I'm, I'm berating myself like as all of the words are coming out of my mouth. I'm also just going crazy in my own head about how I'm screwing them up and how they're going to have to talk to counselors about this in the future. And as I rehash it at night, it just gets more and more, you know, kind of toxic. It looks worse in my head than it probably was in the moment. And, um, and so oftentimes I'll go like to Pinterest or something just to give myself a break. Like, oh, maybe I can do something fun. And like the first thing that pops up is usually like top 10 parenting mistakes. And I've done like 10 of them that day. And it's horrible and it just gets more and more toxic. And I'm trying to learn to invite God into that that moment and not just like seeking other sources to get a break from it. The same kind of thinking can sneak into my work. I work with women for a living and I love it. I see it as this huge opportunity to get to know women better, but also to empower them or protect them and affect their future generations through healthcare. But I'm getting to know some of my patients well now that I've been doing it for a little bit of time. And I'm learning more about their pain and all of this heaviness that women carry and just the horrible things that can happen and I'm finding my, the limits of myself when I don't know the words to say to a woman who's lost a child or a baby or to that woman who's been like used up and tossed aside repeatedly or to the woman who's currently being abused but doesn't know how to get out or that she's allowed to. And I, I find myself just caught like in feeling like I'm not enough and I'm not measuring up. 
but that is where we need to invite God in. We need to see how he's teaching us and how he's guiding us in that moment. We need to constantly be praying. And we also need to recognize that he's carrying those people too. He's carrying your kiddos and he's carrying those people you're trying to care for. I was sharing this with my neighbor recently about my struggles and she's a, an amazing godly woman. And she shared with me the verse in Colossians 3.12 that she repeats to herself on a consistent basis. And it says, therefore... As God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. I found this so encouraging because not only does it talk about how we are dearly loved and we were chosen for what we're doing, but that all we really have to put on is kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, and compassion. If we didn't put that on today, all God asks us to do is to get up and pray for the wisdom and the strength to put on tomorrow. And that's what living as women of valor really is, and men of valor, is having the courage to get up the next day and say, I want to put that on, and I want to wear that as I walk through what I do, and not just all of the 25,000 things you get done that day. The third and final area that we want to talk about is not just that we need to hear God's voice differently, or some of us do, but we need to be part of helping others hear his voice differently. We need to intentionally be cheering one another on and let Proverbs 31 be something that helps us cheer other women on. That every time we're in a conversation, that we are trying to expand our church community to live lives of valor. Wendy and I found some images in Sarah Bessie's book pretty powerful, and I'm going to read them to you. A woman loved and free is beautiful. She is laughing with her sisters, and together they are telling their stories revealing their scars and their wounds, the places where they don't have it figured out yet. I really love this part here because it just talks about the power of being vulnerable and honest with each other, that we don't have to like wear a mask and act like we have it all figured out. They are celebrating all shapes and sizes and talking frankly and respectfully about sexuality and body image, promising to stop calling themselves fat. And I also would add here that we are daring to not pass that tradition on to our daughters or to the women that are in our sphere of influence that will not be part of their legacy. There isn't much complaining about husbands and chores, cattiness or jealousy when a woman knows she is loved for her true self. She is lit up with something bigger than the world offers, refusing to be intimidated into silence or despair. I think this is a lovely picture. And I think oftentimes the biggest danger for us not cheering each other on is that we get caught in this trap of comparing ourselves to other. Like we look at this woman of valor right next to us and we're like, I think I might should be doing it that way. She seems to have it figured out. It looks really cool what she's doing. Everybody knows about it and doesn't see me clean my toilet at home. They don't know I'm a woman of valor when I'm doing that. That is just so dangerous. Unkind words from others and comparing ourselves to others is where we're going to get caught in that trap of hiding what God truly is placed in us. So I hope that you guys will be able to look at each other and build each other up that you won't have a checklist in your own mind for what somebody else should be doing because God doesn't have one of those. He didn't just like pour us all into a popsicle mold and dump us out to do the same thing. That's not how we were made. I really hope that as men and women that we can sing a proverb over each other, that you'll look around and you'll look at your daughters and your sisters and your wives and your moms and that you'll be able to just celebrate the unique ways that they were made by God. And I hope that as women of valor that we'll do that for each other and for the men in our lives. 
So as we read Proverbs 31, if you go home today and reread it, I do hope that you celebrate the differences between women and men and how we were made, that you'll hear God's still voice in your heart speaking to you so differently, and that you'll be able to have friendships where you can do that as well. I've been so blessed by so many women here in the audience who have shown me how to be more vulnerable, who have shocked me by being compassionate and honest, and it's helped me grow and have such a refreshing eight years since we've been at this church. And so I pray that we'll continue to do that for each other and not fake our way through life. So let me pray for us. Father, I just come to you and I thank you for every woman here and whatever the role is that she plays in whatever arena she's playing in, I just pray that you would just speak into our hearts that we would be able to recognize your still small voice, that we would hush and quiet those voices that are not from you, those voices that are from the enemy telling us to hide who we are and not to bravely put on what you've made us every morning when we get up. I pray that we would be able to rest in our worth that we find in you and that we would have peace as we carry out the giftings that you've given us. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's sermon audio. If you're loving Quest Podcast, let us know on Facebook or Twitter by using the hashtag GoToQuest. For more information on Quest, who we are, and what God is doing here, or if you would like to help support Quest financially, please visit us at GoToQuest.org. That's G-O-T-O-Quest.org. Thanks for listening.